Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. As we enter a new era of slow stories, I am so excited to keep Relaunch Week going strong by introducing the second installment of our segment, Soul Stories. If you've listened to past episodes of Slow Stories, you might already be aware that we begin each episode with a slow story contributed by a member of our community. These stories have inspired each of our contributors to stop in their scroll or slow down and unplug. All of the contributions we've received have really set the tone for each of our episodes, and after the response we received from the first installment of Soul Stories back in March, I'm honored to share a few more new voices who share both slow and soul stories that they return to not only when looking to slow down, but when seeking out happiness and peace. So without further delay, enjoy Soul Stories Part 2. Hey, my name is Kara Zawacki, and I'm a marketing strategist based in New York City. Because of the pandemic, my partner and I have been away from the city for more than a month, which is the longest I've ever been away from New York since I moved there more than five years ago. And I've been really missing it, like not just the bars and restaurants and life in general that comes from living in a giant metropolitan area, but the energy, the quirks, the inside jokes you become in on when you really live in a city like New York. Anyway, last week, the great Irish poet E. Van Poland died, and I came across some of her work, and it really blew me away. I loved one poem in particular, titled Atlantis, A Lost Sonnet. It was written in 2007, but through the lens in which I was reading it, in the middle of a global pandemic, missing home, it really spoke to me. It made me nostalgic for the city I left behind and a mourning in a way, but also for the one I know will emerge again forced to change, but the result somehow a little better than how I left it. The poem is short, so I'll read it for you here. How on earth did it happen, I used to wonder, that a whole city, arches, pillars, colonnades, not to mention vehicles and animals, had all, one fine day, gone under. I mean, I said to myself, the world was small then. Surely a great city must have been missed. I miss our old city. White pepper, white pudding, you and I meeting under fan lights and low skies to go home in it. Maybe what really happened is this. The old fable makers searched hard for a word to convey that what is gone is gone forever and never found it. And so in the best traditions of where we come from, they gave their sorrow a name and drowned it. Hello, my name is Alessandra Angelini. I work in community at Crown Affair. I also am a writer and holistic nutritionist. Today, I've chosen to read the poem titled Testimony 1968 by Rita Dove. I've chosen this poem because I'm learning new rhythms and new ways to manage change, and this poem is helping me do that. I'll read it for you now. 
Who comforts you now that the wheel has broken? No more princes for the poor, loss whittling you thin. Grief is the constant now, hope the last word spoken. In a dance of two elegies, which circles the drain? A token year with its daisies and carbines is where we begin. Who comforts you now? That the wheel has broken is mechanics 101. To keep dreaming when the joke's on you? Well, crazier legends have been written. Grief is the constant now. Hope, the last word spoken. On a motel balcony, shouted in a hotel kitchen. No kin can make this journey for you. The roots locked in. Who comforts you now that the wheel has broken? The bodies of its makers? Beyond the smoke and ashes, what you hear rising is nothing but the wind. Who comforts you? Now that the wheel has broken, grief is the constant. Hope, the last word spoken. I hope you enjoyed that and I hope it inspires you to find new ways to depend on change and believe in yourself and have hope. Thank you. Hi, I'm Molly Crossan, the CEO and owner of Industry Standard. We're a woman-founded and run apparel company that makes small batch denim and organic cotton tees and sweatshirts designed in New York and responsibly made in LA. The last piece of content that made me slow down was the article by Gabrielle Hamilton in the New York Times entitled, My Restaurant Was My Life for 20 Years. Does the world need it anymore? Slow down is an understatement. Um, (laughs) It brought me to a full screeching halt and made me cry. Uh, I cried for Hamilton's restaurant Prune in the East Village that I love, a place I've celebrated so many milestones living in New York. And I cried for all the restaurants and small businesses that make New York, New York, and are facing uncertain futures right now. In the article, Hamilton takes you through a day-by-day, almost hour-by-hour account of how she pared down, laid off, and eventually shut her restaurant down completely with little guidance from the government or any other authority. She poetically details the tangible and intangible challenges of running a business in the face of a pandemic. The pressure of, will we get our SBA loan, is quickly followed by, does the world need another restaurant? This is something I've grappled with running a small independent business in the face of this crisis, balancing kind of the tactical need to survive with the sheer scale of a global situation we clearly weren't prepared for. That said, I can't help but agree with Hamilton when she says, and this is a quote, what delusional mindset am I in that I just do not feel this is the end, that I find myself convinced that this is only a pause if I want it to be. I hope for so many businesses and for just so many aspects of life that have fundamentally changed, this is just a pause.
Me again, jumping back in the mix to say that I hope you've been enjoying these stories so far. I also have a soul story that I want to share that I came across pretty recently. It was an essay I read in The Creative Independent written by Kate Smeisner entitled, So Am I a Writer Yet? which examines how our creative identities and relationship with making art has been affected by the expectations and demands of modern life and society. Her writing is beautiful and true, and I want to share a brief passage for you that resonated with me the most. It reads, Maybe you, like me, then learned somewhere along the line that your art could also make you feel good when someone else enjoyed it, and the value attached to your creativity increased, but only for a moment. And because that moment was fleeting, chasing the feel-good became addictive. The process of seeking validation became wrapped up in your larger identity and what you create and how people respond, became confused with the very facts of who you are. Maybe then, that infinite ocean of effortless flow became harder to find. Which cave do I swim under again? And so on and so forth. And the advent of social media and blah blah social capital and who you know and how you flaunt it, and suddenly writing isn't a place to escape to or visit to to understand yourself more intimately or to examine and chase after elusive truths but a landmine of anxiety and a veritable slot machine of different combos and flavors of attacks on your self-worth. And ta-da, you grew up to be a regular human, and how disappointing is that? But also, how freeing. What gives me my spark and my self-worth and steady ground and the possibility for living in the infinite is the knowledge that there are so many ways to be a writer in this world, so many alternatives to the popular narrative, as diverse as humanity itself. These ideas are so important in a time that asks so much of creative professionals, and I am eternally grateful to have stumbled upon this essay, which will be an enduring reminder that I'll carry with me as I enter a new chapter of my professional story. So I hope Kate Smeisner's essay, So Am I a Writer Yet?, brings you a little bit of comfort too. I'm Eleanor Turner, the co-founder of Argent and the founder and CEO of The Big Favorite, a brand once led by my great-grandfather, revived as a zero-waste and circular undergarments company. I was recently stopped from scrolling uh, by a Medium article that was written by Julio Vincent Gambudo, and I want to read a little bit of that for you now. What the trauma has shown us cannot be unseen. A carless Los Angeles has, a, has clear blue skies as pollution has simply stopped. In a quiet New York, you can hear the birds chirp in the middle of Madison Avenue. Coyotes have been spotted on the Golden Gate Bridge. These are the postcard images of what the world might be like if we could find a way to have a less deadly daily effect on the planet. From one citizen to another, I beg of you, take a deep breath, ignore the deafening noise, and think deeply about what you want to put back into your life. This is our chance to define a new version of normal. A rare and truly sacred, yes, sacred, opportunity to get rid of the bullshit and to only bring back what works for us, what makes our lives richer, what makes our kids happier, what makes us truly proud. We get to Marie Kondo the muck out of it all. We care deeply about one another, that's clear. That can be seen in every supportive Facebook post, in every meal dropped off for a neighbor, in every Zoom birthday party. We are a good people, 
and as a good people, we want to define on our own terms what this country looks like in 5, 10, 50 years. This is our chance to do that, the biggest one we've ever gotten and the best one we'll ever get. Thanks. Hi, my name is Lexi Tollefson, and I work as a brand marketer at Grailed. It's a tech company designed to fuel the circular fashion economy with a community-driven men's fashion marketplace. Today, I'm excited to share something that recently made me pause and appreciate subtlety in our surroundings. In this moment of self-isolation, I can feel myself returning back to simplicity in routine, in thought, in creation, and in a way, it's a, a welcome counterpoint to the often frantic, mindless pace of normal living in Manhattan. Over the last few weeks, I've tried to explore this inversion of my routine by noticing the small, quiet things around me that are sources of beauty and really inspiration. Lately, I've been particularly taken by trees. I, I have a few dogwood trees outside of my apartment window, and they have really kept my spirits steady during quarantine, even when the sun isn't shining, and I feel like I'm living in this loop of days that seem to all run together. This observation brought me back to one of my favorite pieces of literature I discovered back in college. It's a book called Artful, written by Scottish author, playwright, and journalist Ali Smith. It's a very interesting dynamic piece that plays with form and is both novel and literary criticism. It's quite an intellectual read, but when you sort of really dig in, uh, it's quite insightful and illuminating. In Artful, Smith narrates a story about a woman who is dealing with loss. One of the central metaphors she uses to explore this experience of shock, grief, transition, is the life of a tree. How it's a symbol of constant change, reinvention, and ultimately revival. I've started to reread it in quarantine, and it's been a very wonderful treat that's made me rediscover the pure magic and things surrounding us in the natural world that often go unnoticed or unappreciated in sort of the hustle of normalcy. For my soul story, I thought I'd read a small passage from Artful. It's a moment in the novel when the protagonist stumbles upon a passage from an Ezra Pound piece that she has sitting on her bookshelf. It mentions trees, and she's taken by it, as am I, for how it uses a tree to describe the feeling of transformation, going from one way of living to another way of living. The first myths arose when a man walked sheer into nonsense. That is to say, when some very vivid and undeniable adventure befell him, and he told someone else who called him a liar. Thereupon, after bitter experience, perceiving that no one could understand what he meant when he said that he turned into a tree, he had made a myth, a work of art that is an impersonal and objective story woven out of his own emotion as the nearest equation that he was capable of putting into words. That story perhaps then gave rise to a weaker copy of his emotion in others. 
It took me a while to close read this passage and, and really get to the heart of the message. But when I finally got there, and I'll humbly attempt to distill for us now, I realized how fitting it is for our current moment. Essentially, Pound is suggesting that we, when we encounter newness, good or bad, that shakes our perspective and, and ultimately changes it, we are behaving like a tree. We react to the change. We shed a few layers like misperception, doubt. Those are our sort of human leaves and ultimately emerge more beautiful than before. Like my little dogwood trees, we sprout flowers that are a sign of a new chapter. And the end of the passage argues that the most beautiful part of this process is not just how it changes us, but how it inspires small change in others. As you navigate this wild, uncertain time, take a look outside or maybe even a walk, wear your mask, and pause at the first tree you find. Remember that you, like that tree you're looking at, are resilient and lovely and will emerge in a new season with beautiful flowers and an even stronger root. Hi there, I'm Austin Tassone and I am a beauty and style content creator based in New York City and I'm also the beauty content director for Jump Rope, an app for creating and editing how-to videos. And one thing that always kind of makes me slow down the way that I wish most online articles do these days is a piece by Harling Ross that went live on Man Repeller a couple of weeks ago called I'm Clinging to Personal Writing More Than Ever Right Now and I have been feeling the same thing. I think that in the midst of this kind of news cycle that we're in currently, I definitely appreciate first-person perspective and experience so much more now. And I just loved how in this piece she hit the nail right on the head of exactly what she thinks is missing from kind of the online dichotomy right now in this new normal that we're living in. And I wanted to read a paragraph that really stood out to me and kind of captures the essence of the whole piece. So she says, I suppose what I'm asking for are essentially blog posts. Give me the internet of 2012, but give it to me in 2020. Give me shower thoughts and off-the-cuff revelations. Give me comment sections. Give me headlines that don't give a hoot about SEO. Give me the wild west of the digital world when throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what stuck was pretty much the prevailing modus operandi. And I just love this because, as usual, her writing really just hits home and kind of hits that internal thought that you had in the back of your head, but she always articulates it in such a beautiful and clear way. And I think that at the essence of this piece is that human connection is still something that we crave and is still something that's there if we're willing to put it out there and if we're willing to look for it. I hope that you're all staying well and thank you again for having me on this episode. My name is Emily Dinowitz and I work as a content and communications manager at a consumer product brand. I also freelance write and consult for nonprofits in my free time. Something that recently made me slow down and stop scrolling at a time where it's hard to detach from the news is an episode of This American Life. I was listening to episode 697, titled Alone Together. The episode is a collection of stories from previous airings focusing on conversations with family and what it looks like when we turn love 
turn to loved ones for answers and comfort. I've always loved this American life. It reminds me of my parents. My dad has listened for decades and I feel this kinship to him when I listen myself. I love the soothing sound of Ira Glass's voice, the voyeuristic nature of peeking into the lives of others, and how the editors artfully string together narratives of strangers. The story within episode 697 that made me pause for a moment to think about the familiar sentiments occupying my present is the story of a professor and his nine-year-old daughter. The daughter had been in this questioning phase that many kids go through, constantly asking why. One night her father was like, look, just go write down all these questions, make me a big list, and I'll give you all the answers and spend some time with them. So she does this and comes back to him with a list of 50 plus questions and it's totally not what he expects. It's all these existential questions about life. What is life and why do we do it? Where do we go when we die? Time, what is it? Explain it to me. The father gets to work. He's a teacher, so he takes a professorial approach and is researching answers to each question, ultimately working on the list for weeks and then months. He starts to share responses with her on a rolling basis and to his surprise, she seems relatively uninterested in the actual responses. When the daughter is interviewed for this podcast episode a few years later, she shares that she never actually cared much about the answers. She was feeling lonely at the time, living just with her dad who worked a lot. She didn't feel like she had anyone to talk to and she just wanted to speak to him. She knew that if she yet got him these questions, he would spend a lot of time meticulously crafting responses. When the father and daughter speak together on the episode, he says, we talked all the time about dinner, about homework, those kind of things. And she says it's not the same. Talking and conversation are not the same. Talking can be, hey, what's up? A check-in. But conversation is when you're deep in thought, looking at someone, making eye contact, and indulging in their presence. I listened to that excerpt a few times. It made me think about what communication looks like right now. Like most of us, I'm frequently chatting with loved ones on the phone or via FaceTime. This little girl sums up so beautifully what is deeply unsatisfactory about digital communication. The difference between talking and conversing. I think it's been easy to fall into a pattern of delivering updates on the phone, the how are yous, the what's news, and for the most part these exchanges are fairly flat because nothing is really new right now. Today is like yesterday and yesterday like the day before. I miss looking into my mom's eyes and telling her that I love her, brushing my friend's bangs behind their ear as they tell me a story, and that longing won't disappear until the need is met. But in the meantime I can commit myself to more conversation and less talking, less logistical check-ins and more free-flowing feelings practice that I hope will bring me and my loved ones closer together when the intimacy of being in the same space isn't an option. And there you have it. These are just a few slow and soulful stories to get us through the days ahead, and I invite you to share your own slow or soul story on social media by using the hashtag slow stories and slow stories podcast. If you're enjoying this segment and want to be part of the next episode of Soul Stories, please visit slowstoriespodcast.com and connect with us as we're always open to submissions. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, and we'll be back this Friday for our last new episode of Launch Week. Thank you so much for listening.